0: Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back into The Conversation. Now, if you've been listening and don't know, or if you just started listening and don't know... I am a master life and business coach, and I specialize in self-identity, self-concept, aligning our self-concept with the intentions or the reality that we want to create. Because one cannot create beyond your capacity, beyond your perceived capacity. And so whatever you believe, that is your reality. And so I shift mindset. I shift strategy. I shift how you see yourself, how you experience yourself how you choose to experience yourself. Now, I have a signature coaching program called The Aligned Self, and it's about creating yourself from the inside out and aligning your beliefs, your values, your mission, and everything in a cohesive expression in the world. Now, this episode isn't about that. You can't even register for that program yet, not until April. But what I do want to talk about today is an aspect of that program, and that is the concept of subpersonalities. And as I continue to talk about subpersonalities, I want you to realize that it's more metaphorical in concept. You don't necessarily have subpersonalities, but you do. It's a way of talking about, it's a way of framing the different aspects of ourselves that develop at different times, that take on different motivations, different wants and needs, different strategies on how to accomplish those wants and needs. And most people have an experience of themselves as being somewhat split, as thinking one thing in one situation and having a completely different response or belief or motivation in another situation. And over the years, I've developed this philosophy of that we need to create our identity to work universally across context from situation to situation. And so you are the same person at work, the same person in relationship as you are, say, on vacation, just expressing different aspects of the whole. I was first introduced to the concept of subpersonalities or parts or aspects, uh, lower aspects or aspects of the whole personality when I was studying NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, back in 1988. It was one of the first processes that I learned was integrating the different aspects that had been left behind. Now, this could also be referred to as shadow work. But it has a completely different flavor, and I think it is even more effective. And for the longest time, you know, because I was introduced to this work early on, I just didn't even understand shadow work. And once I really delved into it, I recognized, oh, that's parts work. That's parts integration work. That's I knew it on a completely different level. And over the years, I've worked with people specifically in this integrating the subpersonalities back into the whole into your higher self-expression, most people know themselves to be somewhat split, somewhat undecided. And I already said that, but I just wanted to reiterate the fact that um, we're not necessarily congruent. We're not necessarily aligned in every aspect of our expression. And I think that's the goal. I think that's the intention uh, of the spiritual path. So in this episode, I'm going to dive deep into subpersonalities, how they are expressed, how they are developed, how you can identify them in your life. And I'll also talk about an opportunity to work with me one-on-one in dealing with this. Of course, you're able, I should be able to give you enough information to where you can actually deal with these on your own if you're so inclined. It takes a certain amount of introspection, the ability to talk to yourself and and work with your other than conscious mind, your subconscious mind, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. But nonetheless, I think it's important for you to at least be aware of your subpersonalities and not make yourself wrong. Because very often, some of these subpersonalities have agendas, wants and needs, strategies that are counterproductive to some of the intentions that you're putting out in the world, and so it may occur as if it's a defect in your programming. It may occur as if it's, oh, what's the word? Uh, sabotaging, self-sabotaging. I mean, that's the way it occurs to us, as if it's getting in the way of what we want. But what's important to realize is that these subpersonalities have a positive intention. They are benevolent in nature. They want nothing but the best for you. But they may have adopted a strategy, a plan uh, to accomplish something that is counterproductive to who you are today. It worked once upon a time, probably, because otherwise you wouldn't repeat the pattern. So once upon a time earlier in your life, you adopted a strategy, a technique, an agenda in order to basically protect yourself. Now, I realize that this might sound a little confusing so far, so let me give you a different example that most people have had some type of exposure to, and that is the concept of multiple personality disorder. Now, self-personalities is not that, but it is similar to a degree. So in a multiple personality disorder, the self-identity is fractured into separate identities, separate personas at different stages of development. Typically in response to a crisis or some trauma, emotional abuse, physical abuse, it's a way to protect our our sense of self, our sense of identity, with the main strategy being to dissociate or separate yourself from the pain, from a painful situation. Now, subpersonalities are developed about the same way. They are developed in response to a traumatic event, a crisis, a stressful situation, or a problem that we encounter. And in case you're wondering whether or not you have subpersonalities, virtually everyone has them. I, I haven't met a person yet that in some way has not developed or created a subcomponent of their persona, a subcomponent of their personality. So, for instance, let's put this a little bit more in practical terms. So, most of you have the experience of having a part of you that is very responsible, and then another part of you that likes to be lazy. A part, and sometimes we make that part that likes to be lazy, we make that part wrong. Like that's we, but we recognize that that part lives within us. And then most of us have a creative part or a problem-solving part. And a fun part, a part that likes to have a lot of fun, that goes exploring, or a part that likes just to pull back, you know, and close the curtains and stay inside. All these different aspects are sub-personalities that are created at different points in our development in order to solve a problem. And typically, the strategy revolves around the three stress responses, which is fight, flight, or freeze. So a part of us that's adopted the fighting stance could be overly defensive or or have an anger response that may sometimes be out of proportion to what is called for in the situation. That part also might be overly competitive or want to take advantage of other people or take advantage of a situation before they lose out. Remember, this is an aspect of the personality that was developed in an earlier time, and it's just a strategy that worked at one point in time. And then we tend to generalize this strategy to other situations. And then, of course, it works where it works, and then it doesn't when it doesn't. This is why many people, and if you were to analyze yourself and look at your anger response, at what age do you remember responding that way? At what age was that part born And I've noticed just in my perspective that a lot of women adopt an anger response that could have been adopted in their teen years. And like I said, once we found that it works in one situation, we tend to adopt it and use it over and over again, like a rinse and repeat. Another response that could be adopted by a part is that of the flight response or the fleeing response. And how might that take place? How might that exhibit itself in your life? Well, you might avoid confrontation. When you feel confronted, you might change the subject. You might even leave the room if a fight breaks out, if a verbal fight breaks out and you feel overwhelmed, you may just want to get away. Another behavior that's exhibited from the flight response is that of procrastinating, finding something else to do, something more interesting to investigate. You might even, you know, scroll more on TikTok or Facebook or YouTube. As a way to avoid confronting what you know you need to do. Because an aspect of you has found that this is a good strategy to not feel uncomfortable. At least in the short term. Because when we tend to waste time, when we tend to investigate other things that really don't have a payoff. When we come back around and actually have to address the thing that we've been putting off. We make ourselves feel bad about it. Because we haven't made any progress and we know it's important. We know that it will make a big difference for us, but we've adopted this strategy. And like I said before, these parts are really powerful. And so it will override any intention that you have that might seem to put you in danger, might seem to put you in an uncomfortable space. And so you've developed strategies. These sub-personalities have developed strategies in order to have you avoid that feeling, that mucky muck feeling. So what about a part that has developed the strategy of the freeze response? How does that show up in our adult life? Well, again, it could be a nap. You could become really, really tired or even really, really confused. Like you don't know what to do. You feel stuck. You don't know whether to turn right or to turn left. And you'll often hear yourself saying, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what I feel. I don't, because we dissociate, we create a separation between the experience and what we're feeling inside. This is something that I did when I was younger. And this also brings to mind a pattern that a lot of people find themselves involved in, and that is people-pleasing and the idea behind that is if i'm pleasant enough if i'm pacifying enough then there will be no conflict i just won't present a threat i will not be perceived as threatening and you know i'll be the good person i'll be the good guy and as a consequence i'll be accepted i'll be loved i'll be treated fairly what what often happens is that we put our wants and needs on the back burner, we put them aside as if they're of secondary importance, and so as a consequence, we end up feeling regretful or even resentful, feeling like I just can't be myself. And why not? Because in the in the mind of your subpersonality, being yourself is potentially dangerous. If I'm myself, I might be rejected. So let me provide you with an example from my life. The the first technique that I used was a six-step reframe in NLP, and it's essentially the same process. And so when I was in the NLP training, we had a breakout session, and I paired up with another practitioner. And she led me through the process, and I went inside to talk to my different parts as she asked the questions to focus my attention. And I admit, I forget the first question she asked that led to the inquiry, but I remember almost immediately becoming aware that my heart was encased in this crystalline structure, this glass case. And I admit it was in my interior vision. My inner, When I looked inside, I had the visual representation that my heart was encased in glass. And when my partner asked me the question, what is the intention of the case around my heart? It was self-protection, protecting my heart. And then what follows are the questions that you can also ask yourself. It's like we tune in and if that part has a shape, has a persona, has a name, what is it represented as? What does it seem to be? And again, it's going to be given up by your other than conscious mind. So just accept whatever comes in. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, but as far as your unconscious goes, it makes perfect sense. And so that part of you that can observe your thoughts, that part of you that is the witness to your actions, that's the part that's doing the inquiry. And it could be said that is a representation of your higher self. So as I tuned in to the part that had created this case, it was a knight, a knight in shining armor. And when I asked at what age was this part developed, it was seven, about seven years of age. And then I remembered almost like the memory connected uh, why I would need protecting. Now, I ran around in the neighborhood with a group of guys, a group of kids that were somewhat older than me. I like, say I was seven. Then the next age was nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. They were in their teens, most of them. And I was just sort of the tag along. And I didn't really experience any direct uh, bullying but I was I was the, the the subject of taunting. I was the subject of you know some jokes and because I was the little kid, and frankly it was not malicious in nature. But I ended up feeling less than stellar, less than amazing. I didn't feel good at all, and so I didn't like that feeling. And I didn't know I developed this knight to protect me, to stand in front of me, to defend me. And but it wasn't until I was nineteen when I experienced my first major breakup, my first real love, and uh, she broke up with me. And for good reason, you know, in retrospect, but she broke up with me and it hurt so bad. And I was in such pain that I literally went numb. I went numb to my feelings. I went numb to the experience of life. And I I believe that's when the casing, the, the glass case was built around my heart by the night. And then I also remember that I basically had two ways of describing how I felt at any given moment. I was okay or pretty good. And pretty good was, you know, I was pretty good. But okay, that kind of covered up anything that I was tolerating any pain that was there. It was I was numb to it. I was dissociated from that pain. And it's very understandable that at the time that's exactly what I needed. I needed to not feel that pain. But the unintended consequence of that strategy is that I was no longer completely present in or with my emotions. I dated a lot during that time in order to become validated or get validation to have somebody else say that I was okay. But I was emotionally distant in those relationships. As soon as I got confirmation that they might love me or they might like me, they really like me a lot. That was when I left. That was when I needed another fix, another person, another input for that. Because another subpersonality that was being protected by the night was my eight-year-old. And that part was born when I was eight, when I had written a love note to some girl, and she basically rejected me. And so I took on the idea at that point that I was not lovable, that I wasn't important enough that I could love you, but I couldn't necessarily trust you. And then at age 19, when I had that major breakup with my my first serious girlfriend, the belief that was locked into place is that I'm not lovable. So let me recap the steps or the, what we've identified so far. One, I had a part that was created to protect me. And the result was, or how, the visual image that was there was that my heart was encapsulated in this glass case, this crystalline case. And also the part of me that was being protected was the aspect that was not good enough or not lovable. And the intention of the night was to protect me. The intention of my eight-year-old was to be loved or to have the validation that I was lovable. And so the intention was identified. So what's the impact? What's the negative and positive impact? So the positive impact is yes, I was protected. My heart was protected. But the negative impact was, I was not authentic. I wasn't really presenting my real self. I was presenting what I thought people wanted to see. What they, what they, what I thought they wanted me to be. And primarily women. But the other impact during that process is that I was emotionally numb. There was an aspect. I could only feel so much before it became overwhelming. In fact, it really never became overwhelming. I never got to that point. I never allowed myself to feel that much. And so I've identified the intention and I've identified the impact of this strategy, which we were in agreement. I asked, you know, you check in with your part and can you see that this is not going to lead us to what we really want? And that is to be loved, to express love, to feel love. Now, before I go too much further with the description here, I want to create a couple distinctions about the subconscious mind. Now, you might be asking, why is an eight-year-old running my 28-year-old life? And that is at the unconscious level. We don't differentiate between the past, the future, and the present. Everything is happening now. And so even though that part was born when I was eight, the strategy was in place. The strategy was applied today, now, now feel any discomfort that was there, the strategy was applied to. And the other distinction I want you to know about the sub-personalities is unlike the multiple personality disorder where there is distinct operating personalities, the subpersonality personality is singular in focus. It's maniacal. It is like a one-eyed monster. It has one tool, one strategy, one defense against you know whatever that feeling was that it's trying to circumvent And so it will attempt to apply that strategy in just about every area of your life, any area of your life where you feel that feeling that you're attempting to avoid. And that is why it works when it's first applied. But when it's generalized to other situations, other areas of your life, other compartments of your experience, there are more instances where it doesn't work that even though there is a positive intention behind the action, behind the strategy, it It becomes like Abraham Maslow said, when the only tool you have is a hammer, pretty soon you begin treating everything as if it's a nail. And so even though there is the positive intention, there are areas where it just doesn't work. It's not the right tool. It's not the right strategy for the situation. It doesn't necessarily get us to what we really want, what our higher self wants, what, you know, the intention that we're putting out there. It is operating from an old paradigm, an old program. And so what we want to do next in the formula is that we want to update that part to the present time. We want to reintegrate it into our whole, our higher self. And we can do that a couple of different ways. We can negotiate directly with that part, like I was going to negotiate with the knight as far as the protection and ask, can we come up with some new solutions, some new procedures, some new techniques, some new strategies to protect myself? And in some instances, you get a ready answer and you you work it out. But, you know, I believe in the wisdom of your other than conscious mind, of your subconscious mind, because it was actually the part, it was actually the aspect of your mind that created this subpersonality to begin with. And so what I want to do or what I typically do is I enlist my creative part, my fun part, or if I'm working with a client, I elicit their creative part, their problem-solving sub-personality. And so I negotiate the, the conversation between those two parts, those two sub-personalities. And I I verify the intention of the part that's trying to protect. And then I enlist the help of the creative part and give it a charge, a, an assignment. Would you be willing to come up with three to five new strategies that will still satisfy the intention of protecting the heart, protecting our emotions, managing our emotions, and then integrate those new strategies, those new behaviors into our expression beginning now and over the next week. And then we check in with a part and ask, does that seem satisfactory to you? When you know I address my night, Does that work for you if we were to come up with three to five new productive and valuable strategies? And my part said, yes, as long as I still have the defense to put up the guard, put up the fence, put up the gate if I'm attacked. And I agreed with that part as long as the gate came down after the perceived threat was over. And the knight responded, that works for me. And then I literally, in that moment, had the experience of that crystalline case falling away, almost melting like it was ice that melted. And then I redirected my attention to my knight, and I honored him and thanked him for protecting me. You see, you always want to love your parts. You always want to love your sub-personalities because they are working on your behalf, we have a tendency, and this is the, the part that is the shadow self or the shadow aspect of this whole process, is a lot of people disown that part. They push it aside. They don't even want to deal with it. They don't want to admit that it's part of them. But the beauty of acknowledging your sub-personalities is remembering that you have different parts and they're all working on your behalf. They're all working for your protection and your ultimate expression, your ultimate spiritual expression in life. It's just that sometimes they adopt a not uh, or a less than productive strategy. But we always want to honor the intention. And then after we thank that part, we want to integrate it back into the whole. We want to update it and bring it part of and make it part or reestablish that it's part of our whole. And so in my left hand, I imagine the knight standing in my hand. And in my right hand, I imagine my eight-year-old. And then I brought both hands into my heart, and I put my hands on top of each other, over top of my heart, and just reintroduced them to the whole. Almost immediately, I felt lighter. And then over the next few hours, I noticed that I was a lot more jovial. I was a lot more engaging, a lot more conversational. I was reaching out to people, introducing myself. I just felt like I was completely different. In fact, the presiding feeling, the overall feeling that I had was that nobody could hurt me. Nobody could hurt me without my permission. And that was the, that was part of the negotiation as I realized that I was responsible for how I received information. I was responsible for how I interacted or the communication that I accepted from other people. And so I always had a say, I always had the ability to say no. That doesn't apply to me. Or I accept your feelings for you, but that does not define me. And that was integrating only one subpersonality or two subpersonalities that were pretty strong. They, They were pretty ingrained in my behavior. And since then, I've learned other techniques. I've learned a timeline technique where I was actually able to go back in time in my mind's eye and revisit my eight-year-old, take him by the hand and walk him through time and visited my 13-year-old and reintegrated those two. And then to my 19-year-old and reintegrated and healed that aspect of myself. And then again, my 27-year-old self. And so these these sub-personalities, many of them are frozen in time. They're frozen back in time when it was a different situation and you had a perspective of an eight-year-old, the perspective of a nine or ten-year-old, and you didn't have the depth and breadth of experience in order to actually inform that younger self of the impact and consequence of making a decision of that magnitude at that time. You were just doing the best you could with the resources you had at that moment. A perfect real-life story that helps uh, add dimension to this idea is in 1945, the war ended. World War II ended. We were fighting against the Germans and the Japanese. And we were fighting the Japanese all over the South Pacific. And they had taken control of several islands. But when the war ended, many of the soldiers were cut off from news. They were cut off from communication not everyone knew the war was over. And so on many islands, there were factions of Japanese soldiers that were still fighting the war. They were still entrenched. They were bunkered in, defending their their turf against the U.S. So here you have the war ending in 1945, and then there were 29 soldiers discovered in 1952. And many of those soldiers felt shamed and disgraced at having lost the war, and some of them committed suicide. Then in later years, there were various soldiers that were found yet still. But what was different is when they were brought back, they were actually taken prisoner and then given clemency and returned to the Japanese government where they were honored as a national hero. They were decorated. They were thanked for their service, thanked for their duty, their sense of duty, and their commitment to their country. And then the last two soldiers found was in 2005. Two soldiers were found that were 80 years old, still fighting the fight. And that, my friend, is the same level of commitment and sense of duty that your subpersonality has to you. And when they're developed, they don't realize that the fight is over. Every time that they encounter something that looks like, feels like the fight that they were developed in, they go to work. Also, too, that's why it's important to thank them for their service, to honor them for their commitment, and then reintegrate them into the whole. So how can you tell if you have subpersonalities that are working counterproductive to your overall intention? Well, you experience self-sabotage from time to time, or it feels like you're sabotaging your efforts, you're distracting yourself, you're procrastinating more than you think you should. You can also look at your life and you'll notice that you have predictable responses to stress, predictable responses when being angered, predictable responses in communication. And these predictable responses very often may not be that effective overall. They might work in the moment, but the, the long-term effects, the long-term impact on your life is not that favorable In fact, you might even have identified some of these behaviors as bad habits or negative habits. And it could be also, too, you know, internal talk, internal dialogue that is counterproductive to your self esteem or well being. That one comes up a lot for people. And when I've reframed it for people, when they say, I just don't like myself, I don't, I, I hate myself because of this act or this process or this strategy or this behavior that's in place, this pattern. And that's the thing that they point to. And the fact that they're constantly criticizing themselves and talking down to themselves. And I said, that part loves you. That shows self-love. And they're like, what? It seems so counterintuitive. But the fact that you're criticizing yourself, it comes from the, you have to look back to the positive intention. The positive intention is that it wants you to be better. It wants you to be great. And it feels, it just learned the strategy, and it was probably adopted by a parent or some other authority figure in your life, that when you're criticized, it's in the hope that you'll do better, you'll be more conscientious, you'll be, I guess, better focused. That voice can be silenced or at least quieted down a lot by identifying when it was born, what was the intention, and are there other ways to handle it? Are there other strategies that could be put in place? Could I be more loving to myself? Could I actually compliment myself and focus on the things I'm doing right? Could I be a cheerleader for myself? And so it's taking that part and giving it a whole new role, a whole new strategy. But I admit every now and then there's someone that has the entrenched belief that the only way to get them to perform is to criticize themselves and not give themselves or not have too lofty of thoughts, not celebrate too much, downplay your accomplishments and focus on where you need to improve. I don't think that works long-term, and it takes sometimes a little bit of convincing, a little bit of salesmanship on my part, a little bit of hypnosis in order to rearrange that voice, but it's definitely possible. So hopefully by now, you're not in the question whether or not you have a subpersonality. It's how many do you have, and are they working for you, or are some of them working counterintuitively or counterproductively to what your overall intention is in life? Are they working as part of the whole, or are they like a Japanese soldier lost in World War II on a remote island operating on their own agenda? So like I indicated earlier, you have the basic framework on how to work on this on your own, although it does take something. It does take a certain amount of self-reflective consciousness in order to have that dialogue, that inquiry with yourself. You can journal it, and that's one way to do it. But if this is something you'd like assistance with, like I said earlier, there's a way to work with me one-on-one. Now, this process is talked about. We do go through this process in my Align Self uh, coaching program. It's all part of the entire process of recreating yourself because those sub-personalities are so critical. But I have also worked with people one-on-one just on integrating the subpersonalities, And that's where I'd like to work with people only three to five people right now I'm looking for at a reduced rate from my normal rate of doing this because I want to use you as case studies for my book on self-identity. Now, typically when I work with people, it takes approximately three sessions, three to six sessions. So let's say no less than three Sometimes we get really big results just with one session, but I'll give you at least three sessions in as many as six sessions of working one-on-one with me and identifying, updating, and integrating those different aspects, those sub-personalities into the whole. So you can be more expressed, more aligned with your higher self. Now, the overall feeling that you get from going through this process is one of freedom and inner peace and a sense of congruence, congruence. It's like all your parts are aligned is a unified whole. Now, like I said, I'm only going to work with three to five people. There's only a spaces for three to five people because I have so many other projects, so many other things going on. And this is a time investment on my part. So I'm constrained on the amount of time or the number of people that I can work with uh, in this arena Uh, And again, the purpose is to assist you first and foremost, but also to provide some case studies. And I won't use your names, just some of the the details um, for my book. And frankly, I'm hoping you're hard. I'm I'm hoping that you have some real issues to work with, because frankly, I want to find out where this process doesn't work. Because in my toolbox, I have at least a half a dozen ways to get to any result, uh, from different angles, different perspectives. And what I presented to you today is one option, one path. It's highly effective and it is dependent upon how much rapport you have with your other than conscious mind. How easy is it for you to talk to yourself and get answers? But it's definitely possible if you want to attempt this on your own. If you want a faster approach, then I suggest you work with me. And depending on when you listen to this episode, this option to work with me may or may not be possible. And so if you're listening to this at the end of January, 2023, and it sounds appealing to you, check in with me today to see if you're a candidate, to see if this is going to be workable for you. Because this opportunity is not going to be open for weeks. It's just going to be open for days. So if you're listening to this in real time, if you're listening to this at the end of January, you're in the right place at the right time, perhaps in synchronicity that you're supposed to take action. And so to contact me, go to yesdaniel.com and there's a contact form there where you can enter your name, email address, and phone number. And we can have a conversation right away. And it will not be a sales call. I'll just be answering questions and we'll be basically asking the question, is this a fit for you? Does, will this work for you? What does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? So as we bring this to a close, remember, go to yesdaniel.com. And this is one of the longer episodes I've done. And I want to thank you for your listening. I want to thank you for your presence and your investment of time, that you see something for yourself, that you get something for your life. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel DeNovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed as you engage in the epic adventure.